the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. And welcome to Ourgasm. This is the podcast where we talk about decolonizing sex and gender. And I am Lindsay G. I use she and her and hers pronouns, and I am also comfortable with they, them, theirs. And I am Lenny Peppers, and I use she, her, hers pronouns. So this time on the podcast, we are really excited to welcome our first guest appearance. We're going to be talking specifically about comic books with a huge comic book nerd and one of our favorite humans, Charlie McCorn. Yeah, I am super, super excited about this. Charlie and I have been friends for a very long time. We are both um, comics here in Missoula. And uh, Charlie has written a lot of awesome comic books, including Linda Linda and Strike Force Dracula. And I should also mention, shameless plug, that Charlie and I also have a podcast together called Social <laughs> Justice Weirdos. And we talk about social justice as weirdos, basically. And I'm going to go ahead and shameless plug as well. I have worked with Charlie and am in the process of working on something new with Charlie um, through my publishing company, Oneshi Press. I have published one of Charlie's comics, um, Strike Force Dracula, and there is another one in the works that I am not able to talk about yet because it's not close enough to fruition and it's driving me crazy. But Strike Force Dracula is a short comic uh, that pits vampires against aliens. Um, and it appears in, I believe, the fifth anthology of comics that Oneshi Press published a few years back. And it is awesome. And what a guest. Today, we are here to talk about comics and gender and the patriarchy and colonialism and all of that with the mercurial icon, the voice of your generation, Charlie McCorn. Hello, darlings. How are you? <laughs> We are so happy to have you here with us. Uh, now we can have, you know, another voice to prattle on for our our listeners to listen to, because it's just been me and Lenny for a while. I'm yeah. so good at prattling. You are Excellent. so wise to have me. I will never shut up. <laughs> I hope Perfect. you have the bandwidth. This episode is going to be seven hours, nerds. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. That's not uncommon. We do go for several hours uh, when we're recording podcasts. James yeah. had to do a two-parter in one episode because we just went on for like way too long. Yeah, but it was a blast and everybody loved it. Yeah. The reviews aren't in yet, but we're assuming that everybody loved it. Oh, sure. Yeah. The podcast, the famous podcast, Critics of the Newspaper, uh, is writing a, a very detailed uh, review, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, at all the newspapers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Charlie, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you come to be so well-versed in comics? Uh, absolutely. I would say, uh, first of all, hello, my name is Charlie McCorn. I describe myself as a, uh, as a weirdo, as a writer, and as a comedian. Uh, part of the writing that I do is in comic books. They've, they've been one of my main passions since I was a kid. I've been a voracious reader of comic books and graphic novels through my life. Uh, I'm also big old queermo, uh, probably the <laughs> most of anyone that I've met, definitely. And I've always sort of um, been able to look into two things and, and to my many passions that I have um, and be able to see 
sort of the the unwritten history, the, the, the history there that people don't talk about of, of LGBTQ representation uh, in media. And so in, in, my, in my collegiate studies, in my personal life and professionally, uh, I'm really kind of interested on how comic books tell stories, and more importantly, how those stories uh, can be told to either shine light on serious issues or on uh, marginalized groups or more commonly to just shit on them, I'd say. So Charlie, tell me a little bit about your particular interest in comics when it comes to LGBTQ representation. Are you like a historian? Are you a modern reader? What's your special interest? My special interest, I I think, largely comes from like the whole story. As a historian, as a student of history, which says (laughs) in my business cards, I get no work. But as a student (laughs) of history, uh, I I feel that you know, history is being written every day. It's, it's cliched, but it, it is true. And the things that we do now will have influences and be seen as, as uh, you know, parts of trends or, or later on, you know, we will be studied the same way that, that we study the past. And everything that we have is a story. Oh, the beginning and then this giant middle. And then eventually there's an end at some point. And that's history. And I love kind of like hanging out in the doughy middle, just kind of, you know, <laughs> seeing what's out there and, and always just being delighted and sometimes a little perturbed by what, by what I find. Hmm. I, well, that's like the most meta answer to that question. I approve. That's why I'm the voice of your generation. <laughs> true. <laughs> this is true. On brand. Well, so I've had an interesting experience lately. Um, I'm not sure that I can go into detail here because I honestly didn't read the contract that I signed very closely, um, but I have been doing some sort of back-end proofreading work for a very large publisher of comic books recently. Mm-hmm. And most of what I end up proofreading is actually like when they do a collected edition of like, say, you know, uh, golden era for man comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what company this is. That's that's interesting. I wonder what company could possibly be publishing. (laughs) I wonder. It's you know what? It's a mystery. You know, Uh, you know what? We'll bleep that out. We'll just bleep it. That is such a an icon. Really, it could he could stand in for any number of superheroes. Maybe hired you to do some proofreading stories. I don't know. It's possible you don't know what they're up to. Um, anyway, so I've been I've been doing these proofreads and I've been learning a lot more about much older comics, old, mm-hmm. comics much older than I am. And I mean, obviously, in most of these collected editions, we're not really getting into gender issues per se. But just to fact check everything, I have been looking at so many covers from comics from, mm-hmm. you know, the 30s onward and learning about the people who made them. Um, and it's been really eye opening because I kind of thought I knew about old comics as someone who is a fan and who publishes indie comics, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that much so I wouldn't say that at this point I'm like a scholar of comics history in America but I'm certainly closer to being one than I was you know six months ago um are you are you familiar with oldie olden timey am I ever (laughs) so the first actual comic books that we know them were the uh the reprints of daily strips from the newspapers Mm -hmm. well we've got all of these strips let's put them together and then sell them and they became a huge, a huge hit. And so yeah. eventually, well, why don't we just make up our own stuff so we're not reprinting these old things? This led into the comic market. And then almost immediately also the um, the pornographic comic market. Of so course. There are these things, of course, yeah. There are these things called Tijuana Bibles. Are you familiar with them? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, familiar in that I know what they are. Yeah. So uh, Tijuana Bibles, and I, I, I love this, you know, predating uh, the internet and deviant art and all, of, and, you know, various levels of Patreon. People were just like taking existing cartoon and comic strip characters and making their own smaller comic books about them fucking. And we're selling them on 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 a blacker or more or gray market. They uh, they are hilarious, and, and it's sort of you know it's the story we're telling. That happening back then is you know you can see the thread of that today to you know Rule Thirty Four, right? And rule fan 30. fiction more generally. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the golden age of comic books is generally said to start around Action Comics number one, uh, when some character from some publisher appeared. Uh, and and it became huge, and it wasn't just like the kids that were into because kids of, of 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 all genders, kids of all races, loved comic books. But during this time, you know, they were printed on cheap material. People were out of work. Adults, working adults, uh, soldiers became big fans of these too. You know, they could read these stories, they could roll them up, mm -hmm. they could pass them around, and so everyone in the industry immediately started copying Superman. Like, well, that's what works. Let's all try to rip this off, or that's probably an unfavorable uh, interpretation. More accurately, let's know. try to cash in on this. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, they did. They did literally say, "Okay, everybody needs to be wearing tights with underpants over them and a cape." Go. Yeah, and it's interesting <laughs> to see like uh, the people that were not even like close, but I think about um, uh, Captain Marvel, the Shazam Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. who was owned by Fawcett Comics and uh, DC, the publisher of, of, of Action Comics at the time, was like, well, Captain Marvel here, he's too similar to Superman. He's a muscular white guy in a cape. He flies. And then Fawcett said, well, what about all the other stuff? Like his magic word and all of his powers and all, and he's also a little kid. Doesn't matter. They got pushed out of, uh, they got pushed out of a competition. And, and DC Comics, whoever they are, has been doing this uh, for years where they've acquired the, all these different companies. They acquired Fawcett, they acquired Charleston, they acquired Wildstorm uh, more recently, and sort of folded their characters into this large overarching story. That's what we're talking about, though. So uh, comic books were a huge hit. Then we get a publication of a very um, seminal book, a very important book, I would say, in the history of comic books. That is, of course, Seduction of the Innocent by uh, Frederick Wortham. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, yes. such a I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so Seduction of the Innocent, this is a book from 1954. Um, Wortham was a, was a psychiatrist, and he wrote this book that said, hey, we were seeing a big spike in juvenile delinquency and homosexuality in this country. It is absolutely comic book's fault, and I can prove it. <laughs> and he printed this book that's like, all right, so listen, so Batman and Robin, they just live together, huh? Yep, there, it's a, this is a direct quote. <laughs> Batman is a homosexual fantasy. Or look at Wonder Woman. Look at how strong she is. Stronger than a man? Well, that must make her a lesbian. Mm. Although, you know, the, the yeah. original Wonder Woman, which is one of my sort of special areas of focus, yeah. was definitely doing some stuff that probably shouldn't have been on the eyes of kids. I, I Oh, yeah. I <laughs> love the Wonder Woman stories. I absolutely love, like, uh, not Wonder Woman herself, but the creator and his story. Oh, yes. William Moulton Marston. Uh-huh. Uh, which have me on for a later episode about that because I will talk about him and his two partners who created uh -huh. Wonder Woman for hours. Uh, it's it's a fascinating story of a very complex individual who created Wonder Woman and also kind of a, well, very let's say ahead of the ahead of the time ahead of the times when it came to uh, we'll say polyamory. 
And kink. And kink. Oh, boy. So anyway, so this book comes out and there's like some actual like real results from this. It's like, well, yeah, look at Wonder Woman. Like she gets tied up like every issue. That probably shouldn't be for kids. Or like, yeah, Batman and Robin, you know, two men together. We're, 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 we're 1950s America. That must be gay. So <laughs> comic books, the, the comic publishers were like, if we don't do something, you know, people are burning our books. We are going to go the way, you know, they're going to come in and the government is going to regulate us. Right. We cannot let the government regulate us. Mm-hmm. We have to make our own system. And they created in 1954 the, the Comics Code Authority, which was formed by the Comics Magazine Association of America, which was a conglomeration of the different publishers. Mm-hmm. What sucks here is that this, this code they put together, which uh, was going until into the 2000s. Like, I remember when Marvel finally dropped it. But it was like, there's, there's that famous, like, approved by the code, Comics Code of Authority, like this little symbol yeah. on every comic book. But this, this was not the best thing. It, one, is a fan of horror and horror comics. It forbade publishers from using vampires or werewolves or having criminals that aren't, uh, and that you can't have criminals that succeed. Criminals have to be punished by the end of a story. Oh, I see. Uh, you cannot have sexual perversion, which, mm-hmm. you know, was a big thing to, to fully exclude you know, queer representation and, and the idea of this. So uh, I do have uh, to say, yes. sorry to cut you off, uh, that this didn't apply to Native Americans and Westerns. Native Americans could still do magic and could still have like oh, mystical wow. magical things. There was still kind of messed up sexual representations of Native American women throughout comic books. There are definitely posts to code um, Western sex books that were like out on the market uh, that featured Native American women. Wow. Mm. I, I just wonder how, how it worked that you could get away with that if you were applying it to the other who is necessarily at least partially seen as the villain. Oh, right? definitely. Like, so I guess uh, if they got punished in the end, then perhaps the aberrant behavior was okay to show because it was then swiftly followed by justice. Yeah, that might be because the code it, it's bullshit. I mean, <laughs> the code itself is fucking bullshit. But it was important if you didn't have that stamp on the cover of your comic book, you could not be sold uh, in most you know newsstands, uh, drugstores, the places you know reputable places. And obviously, there were still independent comic books. And and this is also focused very clearly on like American comic books. Mm-hmm. The the global history of this is a bit more complicated, especially when it comes to countries like. Germany and especially like Japan and their portrayals of things. Yeah. But uh, the Comics Code Authority existed until uh, 2011. Uh, Marvel dropped out in like the early 2000s. DC dropped out in 2011. And then the day after Archie Comics, the only publisher still in it, says like, well, I guess we're going to close, turn off the lights and lock the door. So up till 2011, 1954 to 2011, this was all comic books were under this. It's changed and evolved over time. And it's, uh, it's sort of like influences are still seen. So remember, there was that ban on horror comics. Uh, you couldn't have vampires or werewolves. That's mm-hmm. why the Spider-Man villain from the 70s had to be called Morbius, the living vampire, because a vampire uh. vampire was forbidden by the Comic Code Authority. Uh. Can, can we dig into that for a second? Like, yeah, what absolutely. is it about werewolves and vampires that we can't show kids? Like, it's, they're it's standard the monsters. It's a satanic panic. It was absolutely uh, yeah. satanic panic. Hmm. Okay. 
but okay, living vampires sense. are totally okay. Those are not an affront to God. Science did that. <laughs> That's okay. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and the other thing with werewolves is werewolves were originally uh, Native American. A Native American woman played the very first werewolf in the 1920s in in a, in a film, and oh, so I the, know that. Yeah, the first werewolf werewolf like americanized werewolf was uh, a navajo woman and so there's kind of like that native american american folklore uh history to that specific monster interesting yeah um, especially with some of the things i think we're going to talk about uh, a little later on and so that's sort of like business as usual i think for comic books for decades and decades certain things were repealed eventually like okay you can have werewolves uh, okay, you can have vampires who are dead, mm-hmm. uh, which led to a lot of like the Marvel like 70s horror comics. Mm-hmm. But also Marvel uh, ran three issues of Amazing Spider-Man that was an anti-drug story that the code of comics code said, you can't publish this because you can't have drugs in your comic books. Stan Lee's like, you fucking idiots. Uh, <laughs> that's probably not exactly. He's like, hey, you fucking true believers. Um, and so they ran three issues of Amazing Spider-Man without the code, and they were a huge hit, which made the comic code go like, okay, fine, you can show drugs as long as it's negative. Ah. Hmm. Do you know of any examples of um, comics that flouted the rules in sneaky ways that were like wild successes? Like, the, who were technically following the rules, but were still able to tell salacious or, you know, dirty stories um, by technically following them? There, there was, it's a line. Um, some publishers like EC who only published like vampires and werewolves and crime mm-hmm. and sex stories blown out of business, like completely just mm-hmm. shuttered almost overnight. Um, wow. that, yeah. Uh, horror comics. So, so then, and here's where things get, I mean, a little, a little sticky because we say like comic books and we, you know, we're Americans. So we think superheroes because that's sort of the, the 500 pound horse in the fight in, in, in the comics industry. Yeah. But, but, but superheroes had a huge lull, like in the post fifties, partially due to the comic code authority. So it was like, mm-hmm. all right, well, we're not doing superheroes. Let's do Westerns, which have their own sort of problems uh, with representation and things going on there. Or right. let's do romance comic books, which have their own problems with, with mm-hmm. the patriarchy and, and um, <laughs> yeah. various yeah. things. And so there, there weren't really a lot of times, a lot of the mainstream publishers weren't doing it. They, they weren't even trying to fight it. Now, European comics, you know, uh, in the 1970s, you know, 2000 AD, you know, Judge Dredd, um, these these incredible stories that that had a sense of humor that had like a little bit of like a cheeky like sexiness to it and also like some very like dark stories and, and stories about crime and fascism and justice mm. and the law they were doing all of things like this over in like great britain and england which which i'm i'm also a big fan of those and a lot of those writers uh sort of this like first wave of british writers kind of cut their teeth doing that and so when they got poached by the u.s companies to come over they started bringing, you know, they were like, well, we've never had to write for the comics code before. So they just like wrote what they wanted to do, which sort of like kind of kicked that door open even more. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, Karen Berger was, yeah. uh, she was the longtime editor. Oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for no reason. <laughs> for, no, for no reason. <laughs> it's a mystery. Um, <laughs> uh, she was the editor of 
a sort of like what would become the first line of Vertigo comics in, in the 1980s. And while previous stories had like flouted things and had like used coding to create, you know, you know, queer villains for, you know, every superhero out there and some stories that had people who were clearly gay, but obviously in like the scary way that, that a lot of like media to make a very the moral panic thing, like, uh-oh, Jimmy, run, there's a homosexual in the school, like stuff like that. Gay, but in the scary way is a tagline for something. <laughs> I don't know what, but it's coming. That, At least that be a t-shirt or something. <laughs> oh yeah, Let's add that to my introduction. Let's yeah. add that to my introduction. I'll be the mercurial icon. Gay in a scary way, the voice of your generation. <laughs> I'm a waste of not being a professional wrestler. Um, <laughs> and so they started flouting it there. Um, the big, like the big thing before we take us to Vertigo is that something Marvel did. Marvel has this comic called Alpha Flight. They're like the Avengers, but Alpha Canadian. Alpha Flight. Got it. I got mad love for Alpha Flight. Yeah, they have uh, several first uh, First Nations members, uh, more than a lot of like the uh, superhero teams in the United States uh, have yeah. had. Talisman and I remember Talisman because I remember that she was going to college and her dad, who was a doctor and also a superhero, was like, this is you what you have to you have to quit college and become a superhero. And she's like, no, but I'm smart. And yeah, there's like a whole thing with Talisman. Anyway, keep talking. So uh, one of the heroes from Alpha Flight is this Quebecois speed skater. Uh, he and his sister, uh, they're mutants. His name is Jean-Baptiste Beaubois. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for my French pronunciation of that. <laughs> he gets credit as being like the first openly gay character in comics, which is a Ooh. complicated kind of title because what happened was sort of interesting so this is the 1980s um marvel is doing this story about um so he and his twin sister if they hold hands they have super speed i believe that's the oh that's so wholesome maybe it's you know i might be confusing them with some other like twin super characters Hmm. but they're very fast and they can fly and maybe they can shoot energy generic superhero stuff um, there is a, a story uh, that comes out where, uh, you know, X-Men obviously has been a great uh, metaphor for a lot of civil rights. And then the 80s, it really hit into the LGBTQ movement. And so this comic was dealing uh, with AIDS. And then in, in a thing, um, North Star, you know, sees like these people being discriminated against. It's like, well, you know what? This baby that might have AIDS, well, well who cares? I'm gay and I'll take care of it big news this character in a marvel comic is like mm-hmm. i am gay i am mm. going to help and stand up yeah. for this um some of that was handled a little weird it's it's complicated it, it's um it got a lot of mainstream press and this was an alpha flight i believe 105 106 maybe huge seller huge seller this comic book went crazy uh, even though like immediately after they kind of like retcon some of that and he kind of like had to put another foot back in the closet for a long time mm. so that and there were a few characters like that that were started to appear in mainstream comic books they were usually very stereotypical they were they were usually tied into some like big gay uh, movement of the time they might have you know aids as part of their their backstory so then we get vertigo comics uh karen berger created this line where a lot of these british writers uh, people like alan moore uh grant morrison um, mm-hmm. uh, 
people like that were coming in and writing these sort of like mainstream DC characters, but were suddenly putting, you know, queer characters in it. And they were doing it in a way it was like, well, this is for all ages. This is for, this is for our audiences. This is an all ages comic book. This is for mature readers only. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tragically, you know, queer lives are often like kind of like, mm, rounded up and put into the ghetto of like mature readers. Like we, mm-hmm. we don't get to exist, you know, before we turn 18, right. uh, we don't get to deal with, which, which, which sucks, which I, th- I think is, is yeah. bad and needs to be fixed. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. But we start seeing a lot of characters. Um, the big one would have mentioned uh, Grant Morrison, uh, who's one of my absolute favorites, recently came out as non-binary, uh, was writing books like, uh, like Animal Man and Doom Patrol. Uh, Doom Patrol had like openly like genderqueer characters um like multiple like characters who did not fit into the binary gender spectrum but you know we're we're still super heroic we get into like neil gaiman and sandman which had openly trans characters it had uh lesbian characters it had you know the whole kind of gamut i will say having reread that whole series like this summer during quarantine the representation is good the like okay it's great seeing these characters. It's awful. They all have terrible things happen to them. It's, oh, it's really yeah. sad to be like, hey, look, we exist. We're in this comic book. We're all, we're all kid beaters or, or weirdos, or we don't get to go on a cool, fun, like, witch moon adventure because we have a penis. Like, that's in uh, one of uh, the Sandman stories. There's a trans woman who, who has an opportunity. He's like, oh, we have to go to this mystical dreamland. And I'll go with the switch. And the which like, we, you can't come with us. It's like chromosomes and stuff. Sorry, what can you do, trans woman? Right. <laughs> and then she ends up getting like, and then that trans woman ends up dying, of course. Right. Okay. And then getting buried under a dead name. And then that gives the, the straight cis character some character growth. It's exciting to see these characters, but, but it's changed a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that Grant Morrison had come out as non-binary. That's awesome. Just, just like in the last like three weeks to a month, where, oh, where wow. someone like published a story and they reached out like, hey, what pronouns? And they're like, it's they. And then, I don't know, put on a suit and went out and fought giant spiders in a bog. I don't know what that guy, what that person is doing. <laughs> sounds, that sounds likely to me. So the follow-up on um, Grant Morrison, who did Doom Patrol, was this writer named Rachel Pollack. Uh, trans woman, very talented, uh, very influential. She created one of DC Comics um, and one of the world's few like transgender superheroes, a character called Coagula, real name uh, Kate Kate Godwin. Uh, she was. Um, it's hard to explain. She gets superpowers by having sex with this non-binary entity called Rebus, which is man, woman, and other all in one body. Whoa! And it's it's exciting. It's it's like a fun. It, it's exciting to have like have one. You know, just to have one when the world's full of so many of others who aren't. Mm-hmm. She does not get she does not get around very well. Uh, writers who are not Rachel Pollock or Grant Morrison have treated her terribly. She's got mm-hmm. fridged at a couple of points, you know. <sighs> it's it 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 is rough. So, with with that out of the way, we're moving forward into the modern era. We of course get rid of the Comics Code Authority, and comic books start introducing queer characters who have a bit more uh, three dimensions to them. Uh, notable standouts in this would be um, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my girls. Oh yeah, uh, Hulkling and Wiccan are are, are ones that I, I I really dug. That the way that they did that story was a little iffy, but I've enjoyed sort of their 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 romance through through the years. Um, there were characters in the Runaways 
um, who were gay, who were who were gender fluid, like literally gender fluid with with shape shifting powers, which was pretty exciting. And so all of these stories, you know, sort of show this long story, this long history, the story that we're telling here. Before it was just things were coded, like we can call this villain, you know, we can code this villain as queer, but we can't say it because that's illegal. We can't have that in our comic books up to people sort of breaking down these boundaries in some very like messy kind of ways, but we're still breaking down those boundaries. Yes, you know, some of the comic books from the 80s, from the Vertigo line, don't handle queer people that great. But compared to literally every other thing in media, it's astounding that we are there at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it is absolutely astounding that we get to, that we are there at all. And I think we get allowed to be a little messy. I think that, that we're, it's okay for that. We don't have to you know, right. be perfect or non-problematic. I'm just saying how it was at that time. Mm-hmm. And now here we are where there are more queer characters, um, obviously through the whole history you know, zines and underground publications and, and indie comics have been publishing a plethora, a whole rainbow of, of LGBTQ characters who don't obviously get the name recognition or, or, or the accolades, but it's still a way for marginalized communities to express themselves and mm-hmm. to add themselves to sort of this picture where they've been missing for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. There, I was like taking notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> while you were talking and what you just said about um you know we get to be a little messy mm-hmm. i i would love to dig in a little bit there about your thoughts on the fact that like as you said in sandman you know gender non-conforming and trans characters get like the shit end of the stick and that's mm-hmm. that's so often how we're used to seeing them represented even now you know it's mm-hmm. still more frequent that you see a queer character who dies in the end or you know something bad happens to them then you get to see them centered in a story actually just living their life um and i i i have like mixed feelings about that because on the one hand i i think like you said people were trying to break these codes of silence about the existence of queer folks and they had to do it in certain ways to make it happen Mm -hmm. um but because of the rules that they were following and trying to get around, we now have this body of work that we look back on and we're like, well, that doesn't meet our current standards. So we have problems with it now. And I guess this is kind of a talk that's happening across like so many different aspects of our culture right now, but Mm -hmm. just wondering what both of your thoughts are on like, how do we judge something that was created in a different time that makes us feel icky now, but maybe at the time was trying to do the right thing? Well, uh, I would say, that the, I'm probably going to use some examples that aren't comic books, so I, I'm sorry to sort of like change horses mid-fight here. <laughs> but this is something that's very important to me, like as a historian, like as someone that studies the past, people evolve, people change. People will write things that do not hold up to modern scrutiny as we learn m- more about the world. However, that does not mean that they are necessarily bad, they are of their time. That does not mean, however, that you know the impact they had on their time is not something that we should not take into effect on that. Mm-hmm. Um, people will talk about the author of H.P. Lovecraft, um, who right. was, you know, shockingly racist even by 1930s standards. You know, yeah. There's that new television program from this summer that you know, has brought that conversation back up. Right. The, I think um, the thing to remember is that, yeah, that guy was a horrible racist. He was racist by 1930s standards. People will say like, well, it was the 30s. What do you expect? Like, but nah. the idea is that there were still people in the 1930s who were directly negatively influenced and impacted by his racism. Right. When, mm-hmm. when Lovecraft was writing letters calling for open race war, 
when he was telling all of his friends how much he loved Hitler, when he was, you know, writing these, these things, these horrible things, they were having an actual impact in the world around them because they were mm-hmm. propping up and, you know, reinforcing this, this system. Mm-hmm. A more kind of telling thing that I've had like arguments with some people in my life over recently is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Me too. I have been having this argument a lot. <laughs> I, I have, I have, I have also, I, I've seen, it's in the discourse, you know, every Halloween it comes around. And I'm not saying that people's feelings towards that movie, I'm not, you know, invalidating their experience. I'm not saying that they are wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's not like straight people made that movie. You know, Rich, <laughs> Richard O'Brien is fucking non-binary. Has yeah. been, had, had, had done hormone replacement therapy for over a decade. Like a, a queer person, a person outside the gender binary, not saying that that person has not said some really shitty things about trans people, not saying mm-hmm. that that movie itself is like perfect, but it's, it was made, it was made by one of us. It was written by right. one of us. It was put on it in the stages of London by queer performers. Some of them don't want to come out and talk about it, but we, we know who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Straight people did not make that. And the fact that that movie exists at all and only exists because a non-binary queer person wrote it, produced it, stars in it as riffraff, mm-hmm. created this thing, this sensibility that is about otherization, is about the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a movie that was made, you know, almost 50 years ago at this point. Yeah. And is now and, sadly owned by Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Yeah, Frankenfurter's a Disney princess, finally. Thank God. <laughs> True. <laughs> Well, and and then, you know, Rocky Horror went on to be nurtured and continued by the queer community. You know, yeah. It, yeah. It, it came out very small and only through the continued adoration of the queer community has it become what it is now as a cultural phenomenon. And so therefore, you know, yeah, we kept it in house. <laughs> yeah, we need to remember that all people are problematic. No person is perfect, quote unquote problematic. No person is quote unquote perfect. We all make mistakes. We all say things that we, we, we all say stupid things. We all believe and do things that are probably against the larger popular consensus. But the idea of, of banning or, or stopping a piece of media, especially like Rocky, that yes, has its problems. But yeah, of course, it's from 50 fucking years ago. We, we have evolved. It does not make it transphobic. Shrek the Musical, which you can watch on Netflix, is a hundred times more transphobic than the Rocky Horror Picture Show is. Um, and that's frustrating to me. And and it's it's right. you know I'm I'm a problematic person. I create queer art. I know that in ten you know five ten twenty years, if anyone's looking back at any of the weird shit I do, I know there are going to be some things to be like, oh wow, I can't believe she did that. You know, I can't right. believe that was you know something that that was done. We have to understand that, that we evolve. People right. change. We change our mind. We, we, we change what, what we believe in. Like, look at the comics code, sort of circle us back around to it. Yeah. You know, we, we built a whole system of censorship to avoid government interference. And that changed the way that they told stories. And like, right. you know, when a similar thing happened in, in, com- in, uh, in Hollywood with, with the, um, the Hayes Code, mm-hmm. you know, what that mm-hmm. did for, for film was if you wanted to have homosexuality, if you wanted to have violence, you wanted to have like these things that were forbidden, you could have them, but you had to be smart about how you told it. Right. Um, I just watched, and sorry, this is, this is going to be all over the place. I saw a great movie from the 40s. It's called, um, the 30s, 40s. It's called The Seventh Victim. 
it it's it's part of the series on queer horror uh, that I'm watching, and it's about uh, it's kind of a very noir like ooh. A, a woman's sister is missing. Maybe she was part of this cult. The sister goes to investigate the cult and she meets the cult members who are all very mysterious. And it's all subtext. Like all the stuff is deep, deep subtext until a woman comes in and says, oh, are you Jennifer's sister? Oh, she and I were intimate. It was a very gay time. Well, goodbye. And it's that point where like they say the quiet part out loud. Mm-hmm. That movie, I mean, and any movie and anything that deals with, with queer people largely, you know, from this, from any media, you know, from up until like the 70s, 80s, it's problematic because we were hidden between the lines. We were there. We were always there. Just no one was directly addressing us. We were, we were the 500-pound the horse in the fight that no one wanted to look at. <laughs> and now that we're at that point where we're trying to move forward, we're still having blowback from people who, who think that we shouldn't exist or that, you know, it's something that, that, we, that it's, a, it's a choice or which, which drives me crazy. And, and so back to comic books, yes, you know, a lot of queers get get killed and buried in in you know dc comics but it's astounding that we exist there and it's astounding that you know there that's the only place that we really get to exist in in mainstream american comic books at that point Mm -hmm. yeah but it is important to bring up film in this because a lot of our comic books are being turned into film and so we have deadpool and we have the most recent um disappointment for me but um (laughs) mainly because I love Danny Moonstar, but they do have a queer story in that, or they ended up having one eventually in the making of it. And um, it's kind of exciting for me because Danny Moonstar to me was my favorite superhero. She's Northern Cheyenne, I'm Northern Cheyenne. I read her way back in the nineties, early nineties. And uh, to be able to think back and to think, hey, maybe she had a relationship with Hella back then, you know, and not, like to reread it as queer um, yeah. now that uh, I'm an adult is, has been really fun for me over the last couple months. Yeah, I, I still have not seen that movie. Um, I'm glad for representation, especially because a lot of these big movies are, are again, it's like the Comico days. The queer mm-hmm. people are there, but between the lines. Right. You know, Do you remember when um, that when Deadpool came out and there was the scene of him getting pegged? Mm-hmm. People lost their damn minds about that. It was a huge deal, both for queer folks and kinky folks who are into pegging, mm-hmm. and for people who aren't, because it was just so revolutionary to think that this sex act might be mentioned in a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then there were a bunch of us that were like, "Okay, <laughs> it's Deadpool." Like, what are you? <laughs> whatever um but i just remember that one scene Mm -hmm. where he even then decides that he doesn't like it which is you know quite hetero of him Mm -hmm. um it still made huge waves absolutely i think about uh and then i mean spoiler alerts for the last avengers movie you know that movie ends i was so surprised because captain america's like well i'm gonna go back in time and live my whole life over with a woman i'm like wait a minute i've been watching these movies that's not what you want to (laughs) do You know, again, it's it's between the lines, which is frustrating. We do, you know, some of the Deadpool, you know, and again, problematic character, you know, a, a mm-hmm. largely created by, I mean, largely written and, you know, evolved from the works of several cis white het dudes. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, as comic books became more diversified, you know, more voices got a say in shaping the different characters, which is, I think, the thing, like, I guess maybe the larger point for this whole conversation is that a lot of different people are sort of making the choices that influence 
con- continuity, quote unquote continuity, like the, the right. story, the characters. And for the longest time, that list of people was sort of tied to sort of one, one group. And right. now that that's expanding and has expanded and needs more expanding in a lot of areas, you know, we can kind of look back and we can kind of see, you know, what was missing and kind of find a way to create new horizons for what comes next. Yeah, and that really is something that's not, it's not only specific to comics, but so far in the evolution of comic books, they have really exemplified the like, the idea that each character, each individual character that is being developed is actually the work of many people. At any given point, you know, you have, you have a writer, um, a penciler, a colorist, an inker, Mm -hmm. a letterer, all involved and and that's kind of a minimum mm-hmm. of the people that you have working on any one image in a comic book and then when you sort of like extrapolate that to look at all the people who have affected the evolution of every major comic book character there's legions mm-hmm. um and so it really is kind of like a a cultural process of watching comics and the characters that they create evolve over time yeah it's the and I, I like the shared storytelling I like the I like the soap operaness of it. <laughs> I don't I don't read a lot of like mainstream comic books these days. Uh, I, I still read some smaller titles, some 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 indie stuff, and some creator owned things that I like. I haven't I can't remember the last time that I bought like a comic book comic book that wasn't like written by a friend of mine. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, but it is it is interesting to to recognize that so much of the world of comic books lives inside the heads of the fans like yeah you know um oh the fantastic four need a lawyer they go to daredevil that's that's that shared universe that's your continuity and in our minds we make all those other connections and then eventually you know kind of you know the jenga tower gets too high and you know our suspension of disbelief you know will break but so much of it is living inside of our heads and like the purposeful exclusion of of queer people and the racist depictions mm-hmm. of, of people of color have influenced what's living inside people's heads. Right. The world yes. in their heads does not include queer people because Spider-Man doesn't know anyone that is gay. Mm-hmm. The, you know, mm-hmm. the, the world of, of Batman, you know, cannot, mm-hmm. you know, might be a quote unquote homosexual fantasy, but no, he's got all these girlfriends and, and all of these <laughs> things. So don't worry about it. Um, as you mentioned, the way that they got around the, the gay thing for Batman is they introduced uh, Robin's Aunt Harriet that came to live at the, uh, the at uh, Wayne Manor with them. Oh, oh yeah, we're living. That. Yeah, it's like, and so now, and so now it's like, well, it's not just like you know, two two men and their butler. It's like two men, <laughs> their butler, and this old woman who's hanging around. Like, waste She'll the straightest thing anyone's ever created. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um. And, and that's sort of where we're at. I, I know I, I skipped over a, a lot of things. I know there's gonna be a lot of things I, I'm gonna regret, like not mentioning specifically. But it, it, we're at a point where you know we're seeing a mass exodus from the closet mm-hmm. of, of trans and gender nonconforming people. I think sexuality is sort of at that point where people recognize that it's not as set in stone as they thought it might have been. Mm-hmm. And so as the world evolves and as the new stories get to be told, who tells those stories? Is going to influence what lives inside people's heads and this industry that i love and i love studying is going to continue to to evolve and i hopefully will, will be able in my own small way to be a small part of that evolution in the work that i do 
but that's that's the dream you know that's that's what it is just hoping that you do something that makes it better for whoever comes next right oh that's lovely yeah i want to talk briefly about the the codes right the codes that pop culture lived under for years there was there's one in film there's one in comics there was one in porn um which you know nobody really followed it because there's not really regulatory bodies in porn but there there is one um and it's you know just as homophobic and racist and sexist as everything else um but the idea that and again, it's it's the same as the comics code in porn. I just happen to know the most about the porn code because, you know, that's my whole thing. Um, what is the porn? Does it have a cool, like, name? like the It's, it's code? named after the guy who made it, and I, I just can't remember what his name was now. I think it was instituted in, like, 2000, 2001, when George W. Bush was elected. Mm-hmm. And they were like, uh-oh, the Republicans are coming for us. We better not do any of these, you know, 20 things. Um, and it was all written by people who probably looked very similar to the people who wrote the comics code. Um, which is to say, you know, don't mm-hmm. do stuff with people who aren't white. Mm-hmm. That's scary to people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, don't do not do any of these lists of things that it could come across as kind of gay. Um, and, you know, and it all comes down, is all handed down to us through the, the patriarchy um, as this list of things that are acceptable and unacceptable. And it's it's funny because, especially I feel like with comics, um, the comics industry literally for a long time saw their audience as pretty much exclusively children because it was it was silly stories nobody could possibly take this seriously so it was marketed to children so they thought that they were keeping the children safe by instituting these these codes of behavior but it's like you know brainwashing goes both ways people mm-hmm. like you don't yeah sure you don't want to indoctrinate kids to unhealthy dynamics between grown men and young boys obviously nobody wants that but at the same time by omitting this massive part of the human experience you're setting so many young people up to be freaking messes as adults i am <laughs> hi <laughs> hello <laughs> here i am <laughs> yeah it's um you know i i think you know like like worth in session of the innocent was like oh what's causing juvenile delinquency comic books when obviously that discounts all the actual causes of, of right. delinquency exactly so we're attacking the symptoms not not the disease which obviously you know put people out of business and and comic artists and, and comic publishers as we all know we don't make a lot of money they weren't making <laughs> i mean they were making more money back then but when they can no longer print any of their books because it was all vampires and werewolves and criminals doing like gay drugs <laughs> gay drugs are the best drugs kids just say <laughs> uh one of the things about uh comic books for me is like how much i've always uh identified with uh not just comic books i mean we talked about disney last time and about like how much i identify with the villains it wasn't until like this week when i was kind of looking up stuff for this episode where i came to the re- realization that uh super villains are also kind of this queer yeah a little gay yeah like there's that i think there's like a tweet that went viral like last emmys where it like had a picture of like lil nas x and orville peck and a couple other people it's like oh why do all these singers look like batman villains and the answer the obvious answer was because villains are coded as queer and so when we see queer people 
the training and the, the programming that we were given, you know, that we are sort of you know, indoctrinated in you know, through our whole society that is around us at all times yeah. is telling us that person is probably going to throw a pumpkin bomb at a bank. Like that is our, right. that is our first thought is like, there is something wrong with that person. They, they are villains yeah. because mm-hmm. the stories that we tell, you know, and this, you know, the way that we shorthand, you know, queerness. Right. Or even like more specifically how we shorthand, like, gender diversity as, as, as a shorthand for like literal like psycho craziness speaking of rocky horror like yeah it's got its problems like one of which is that the main character is a sweet transvestite who who's a killer and that kind of <laughs> trope is is fucking lousy through horror film like, yeah back even to fucking right. psycho mm-hmm. even today i'll still see movies that do that and it makes me just just sick to my stomach that we're still we're still shorthanding, like, oh, this person must be insane. Oh, how can you tell? Well, they're trans. Ah, of course. Right. Well, and like, there's so much, there's so much behind that. Like, because if you're quoting, if you are coding, rather, your villains as queer, mm-hmm. you're inherently also coding queer people as villains. Right. You know, when, when you grow up seeing the people that you identify with being treated a certain way, and you are living under a more or less code of silence about who you are fundamentally as a person, you know, yeah, that might lead to some some less than well-adjusted behaviors later in life. And the fact that that is true for many people, I feel like it's a it's a massive failing. Absolutely. Every step along the way, you know, of our society. Um, well, I, just say, I think it's very bold of you to say that all queer people are super villains. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> I mean, Charlie, I am. we're both trying to acquire the title of doctor right now, and there is definitely a deeply seated reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> when do I get my doom bots? That's all I want to know. I know, right? Well, okay, you guys are both going the direction of actually getting your doctorate, whereas I just take the title doctor and run with it, which I believe is slightly more supervillainous behavior, so oh. I'm just going to throw my name in there. Literally like Dr. Doom, who does not have an actual yeah. doctorate. And, <laughs> I mean, how many supervillains actually do have a doctorate degree? I know that there's some, but... Good question. Yeah. I, I Should we name them? All of them? That that... <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. alphabetically... <laughs> Once we get five minutes in, we'll just slowly fade out and that'll be the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Lindsay, I, I interrupted your thought with my hilarious story. Oh, no, but, I was yeah. just I was just going to keep rolling with that. Like, there, there is a cycle involved in, you know, mm-hmm. seeing trans and queer people as inherently mentally unstable and then constantly treating them as inherently unstable and then seeing yourself reflected in unstable characters and living under you know yeah. the code of silence but there's there's a cycle there mm-hmm. and it fucking sucks so i'm glad that the codes are gone i'm glad that we no yes. longer have the codes mm-hmm. yes and there have been you know, a variety of characters who have come out as bisexual or or some form of you know uh queer over the years so there's the character of John Constantine uh, from, from Hellblazer, very explicitly and canonically bisexual. In the comic mm-hmm. books, has girlfriends, sometimes has a boyfriend, talks openly about these things. This character was uh, got his own TV show a few years ago, and then that character has appeared in, in DC's like extended television universe. And when people asked, oh, cool, you're making a John Constantine te- uh, television show, will he be bisexual? 
And the answer that they gave was a very much like, well, you know, it doesn't really influence the story, so we're really not going to talk about it, which, <laughs> you know, it is, is shitty. It, it is shitty that society, the systems, these huge corporations, these networks, these movie studios, they think they're going to lose money if they have mm-hmm. queer characters in their stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Middle America is not going to watch this television program if the hero occasionally, like, smooches a handsome dude. Right. Like, that's... That is what it is. People will turn mm-hmm. it off. Um, speaking of New Mutants, uh, Lenny, a mutual friend of ours, um, put her hands in her own life and went to the theater to see that uh, see New Mutants. Mm-hmm. And she said that, like at the point where the two uh, girls kiss, a bunch of people in the audience got mad at that. Oh my god! Seriously. Uh, and that's, I think, of all the things that we've been learning in this very challenging year, is that while some things might go away we are all very aware of how our community and our society around us is actually thinking. Yeah. We recognize that there are some problems there and mm-hmm. I think a lot of trust is going to be broken. But that's mm-hmm. so probably a larger conversation for another day. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I know like when I put quantum out the first issue of quantum, I actually got some um, negative blowback from people from my tribe who said, can't we get a straight superhero first? Like, what? why do you have to make her queer? And I was like, so wow. disappointed. This is like bigger than society for me. This is my tribe. The community is very tightly knit. And so it was so disappointing. It's, it's especially frustrating. I, I know because I know how important representation and, and that is to you. I want you to know as, as your friend, you are my favorite queer superhero. Ah. <laughs> and, and the world is lucky to have you. Well, thank you. And I do have to say, Second like, on an, on, on an up note, uh, I have received more um, support and uh, from my tribe than I have blowback from, negative blowback. So, you know, the amount of support that, that is out there for not just me, but for... Uh, everyone who's like working on these kinds of projects is, uh, you know, not something to be overlooked as well. That's really good to hear. I mean, I do feel like um, sexuality in comics is still a tough one. Like whether it's, you know, overt depictions in a comic that isn't necessarily uh, described as like a sexy comic or an erotica comic book, you know, it's already shaky territory because people are just kind of afraid of seeing depictions of sexuality generally. And then when you, you know, narrow it down a bit so that it's not necessarily straight sexuality, you know, particularly happening between hopefully two white people, um, <laughs> people, people get freaked out. They get easily mm-hmm. scared off. Um, as I've been learning with my comic Tracy Queen for the past, you know, God, like 10 years since I started writing it and and have been trying to show it to people. Um, You know, what we've published so far has been exclusively depictions of straight sex uh, because the character starts out more or less assuming by default that she is straight because she Mm -hmm. has not considered the alternatives. Sure, compulsive heterosexuality. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm very familiar with this. Um, And yet, you know, people, uh, people are a little afraid of working with a story where there are pictures and you can see sexuality happening 
unless it is specifically coded as an erotic graphic novel, because that is a thing that is a label where people know what they are expecting and they are into it. If it is not labeled as erotic and there is sexuality, it is upsetting to people. And then I find that people are kind of willing to just like fly off the handle and make all kinds of horrible assumptions. Um, in the case of Tracy Queen, it's usually right because she actually is kind of a super villain. <laughs> she's the hero, but she's not really a very good person. She does a bunch of bad things. Um, but it's just, it's interesting the way that uh, people tend to th th clench up when they see sexuality being depicted mm -hmm. in a way that they either didn't expect or aren't fully into in comics, in my yeah. experience. Yeah, it's an excellent point. That, that sucks. That fucking sucks. <laughs> Again, like in the eighties, you know, our stories have to exist still in the mature readers, the, the, the erotic, you know, the area we, we exist outside of polite society because polite society doesn't believe that we exist in it. Yeah. And I, I say thank you all the time. I'm very polite. <laughs> yeah. I hold doors open for people. I don't. Is that sexist? <laughs> can i say one thing that kind of just popped into my head and is something that i think about a lot when i am looking at and working on comics um during the entire time that the code was in effect comics were written primarily for straight white male audiences right often for kids and they were like just totally and utterly objectifying the idealized male form like you're mm -hmm. staring at like pecs all the time and when you get into like sometimes I just look at comic book poses and I think like wow that's you're really getting like a super close-up of like so-and-so's junk in those underpants and like you know leggings or whatever they're wearing like it's it is so many comics spend so much time really like ogling the male form and you start to wonder like is that on purpose or did... oh yeah they're <laughs> totally like reinforcing the heteronormative patriarchal idea or ideal of what a man is supposed to be yeah. and like encouraging that weird kind of drooling over it idea but in a straight way yes yeah. it's, it's that thing and again, probably too late the episode to sort of open up like this can of worms. <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, comic books are, okay, American comic books and especially American superhero comic books, which is sort of the, the big one, are, are inherently fascist. We, they came mm. up, they are an American art form, they are drenched in our American ideals, which can be perverted. And so the idea of like this ideal Uberman, like look at this literal Superman, look at how tight his clothing are, look at all of his muscles, might makes right. That's right. It's that same sort of balance that that's sort of being struck is you know, what story are we telling? What's being excluded? And I guess the larger idea of like, but you know, what are we reinforcing? Mm -hmm. Huh. That's a really good point. I hadn't been thinking about it. I just was thinking this is gay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where most of my thought process well, is leading. <laughs> I mean, look at like look at like uh, Tom of Finland. Like, look right. at these gay artists, these like gay comic artists who have who have co-opted sort of fascist iconography and aesthetic to to make super gay art. I mean, right. you know, 
the 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 leather you know the whole leather thing kind of comes from that right and so yeah it's it's that you know it's two sides i think is that hey look this is for men but then forgetting well some of the men reading are going to go oh well i've had an awakening thanks green lantern i'm going to go <laughs> i'm going to go find a boyfriend that's how it happens as far as i know you read green lantern you get a boyfriend <laughs> green arrow get like three boyfriends <laughs> <laughs> you all live together in in a in an anarchist commune in a forest yes <laughs> you and your four boyfriends reading green arrow comics <laughs> oh speaking of four boyfriends lenny um weren't you saying <laughs> lenny, how are your four boyfriends <laughs> how are your four boyfriends um but weren't you saying when we were talking about it the other day that gene gray and wolverine and cyclops have come out as poly i was about to bring that up during the talk Okay, yes. have not come out. Oh. Again, subtext is that oh. if you look at if you look at like these two panels, and then for whatever reason they have like in the back of one comic book, oh, here's the map of the X-Men's new base, and you see that like Wolverine and like the rooms are all like Venn diagrams, and both Wolverine and and uh and Cyclops is both open into Jean Grey's bedroom. <laughs> and then there's like a panel where they're all kind of like 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 celebrating and they're all like hanging off each other yeah okay so so again it's it's between the lines of history you know the best part of reading is reading between the lines it's not explicit Mm -hmm. but okay oh i like that Mm -hmm. i'm i'm gonna write that down like goals yes (laughs) have a have a bedroom adjoining lenny's oh my god that's (laughs) been my goal like this whole time like i've been trying to figure out how i can like buy a house like i can have like different wings for all of my different like poly relationships where I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, there's this, you know, there's this wing over here. Just the buy it. room. Here's right, just buy it, buy a yeah. large plot of land and start small in the middle with your suite, right? And then yeah, you right. Start, it'll be like a wagon wheel at the end. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, I also need the time for myself and, you know, self-love and self-care. So obviously I need sure. my own space as well. Hashtag healthy poly life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, All right. Well, now we're just talking about our own sex lives. So, right. Yeah. Uh, oh, but good. I, I so was... I have nothing to add. That's how it's been for me. <laughs> oh. 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 Uh, Hashtag quarantine life. <laughs> but I think, like, that what Charlie was saying earlier, like, really emphasizes, like, one of um, the main tenets of, like, my doctorate degree, tribal critical race theory, is that, um, well, first, colonization is endemic to society, but also uh, basically U.S. ideals uh, towards not just indigenous people, but like any person who is otherized are rooted in imperialism, white supremacy, and the desire for material gain. And I think that America has fooled itself into thinking that material gain means that only straight white people are going to pay for it when there's so much money to be made. And this is a terrible argument to make, but for the capitalists who are listening, so much money. Oh, I'm sure the capitalists <laughs> love this show. I'm, I'm sure they'll turn it. Uh, can we hear how my, my favorites decolonize part of my life today? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm make a billion dollars while I sit here listening to Lindsay and Lenny. Yeah. Hey, capitalists, <laughs> welcome. Yeah. Uh, Send but- us money. 
<laughs> yeah. Let me it, mark it. Invisible hand. Thank you. Trickle your money yeah. down to us, please. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, but there's millions of people out there. There's millions of indigenous people out there. There's millions of gay people out there who want to see ourselves reflected and will pay to see it, is what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I have. I've absolutely gone to films, bought books, read comics, mm-hmm. because I wanted to see something that reflected more accurately to my life. And when I didn't find it, I started writing my own comic books. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We're not, we, we do tend to be on the poor end of the spectrum, but that just means that we're more careful with where we put our consumer dollars. So. I would say, uh, yeah, we're way more punk rock and you want to support punk rock things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, why are you listening to this podcast? Yes. No one here is going to ever sell out. (laughs) We will never be in a position where they will ask us to sell out. Well, well. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Let's not go that far. <laughs> I would love to be in a position where I'm being asked to sell out. I, I, as long as I, I, I like have the think, ability to make the right decision. Uh, yeah. And you know what? I, I know me. I, I would probably sell out in a heartbeat. I would just turn my back on my punk rock roots just immediately. Just like, no, nah, sorry, plebes. I'm part of the upper class now. <laughs> yeah. Here I am living in my mansion, my big poly mansion out here in the woods, forgetting about all of the. But I'm still all alone because we're still a quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't hear the sound of my community over the sound of my many Pomeranians yapping at me. All right. Well, I think that we've covered everything, guys. I think I think we're good to go. We we did comics and glad finished. Yeah, there's so much more I know that I'm missing and so much more and to talk about and there's some big names and obviously there's some great, you know, trans creators and queer creators uh, right now who are working on some great stuff. Um, Vagrant Queen was really good. um, We should have you back and do an episode where we just talk about, you know, the good stuff that's out there. I'd love to. I love talking about good stuff. Really fun. Talk about the bad stuff too. I know a bunch about that also. All right. (laughs) Let's do it all. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you for being here. This has been a great conversation. It's been a real yeah. blast. I'm, I'm uh, glad to be here and uh, I love the show. Oh, why, thank you. Oh, gosh. The voice of my generation. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The voice of your generation. And gay, but in the scary way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mercurial icon. Charlie McCord. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully uh, we'll have you back on pretty soon. We'll, we'll have our people call your people. Please do. <laughs> Is this another poly thing? <laughs> Could be. Always. We'll Actually, talk. Yeah. <laughs> Everything technically that we do is a poly thing. So, <laughs> Charlie, thank you so much for coming on. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this special episode with our first ever guest, Charlie McCorn. Um, I wanted to circle back around because I realized that uh, in the episode, I started talking about my comic book. Lenny started talking about her comic book. And I'm not sure that we've really talked about them much uh, on the podcast before. So we wanted to just tell you folks about these projects of ours. Um, Tracy Queen is a graphic novel that I have been working on for years. Uh, I wrote it many moons ago, and then I actually shopped it around um, to many publishers, and I got a lot of great feedback, but most of them were like, we have no idea what to do with this because 
It's a comic book about a young woman who more or less discovers herself, um, finds herself through sexuality, um, specifically doing porn. And it's a project that means the world to me. Um, but it was a tough sell at the time that I was shopping it around uh, because it was not an erotic graphic novel. It was just a graphic novel that had sex in it and it kind of didn't fit in any of the uh, round holes that uh, existed at the time. So I have been publishing it myself through my publishing company, Oneshi Press. Uh, issues one and two are both out in the world um, and we are working on issue three right now. Um, it is a totally gonzo, wildly out there story that involves lots of sex, obviously. Um, a talking raccoon, there's cyborgs, um, there's a porn star army. It, it gets pretty wild. In a lot of weird ways, Tracy Queen is kind of really like my opus on mm -hmm. not so much the porn industry itself, but how the outside world sees the porn industry. Um, which is, you know, through this sort of like funhouse mirror angle. Yeah. Um, so I made it, I made the story as wild and crazy as people often seem to think the porn industry is. And when I couldn't find a place to publish it as it was, I was like, well, I've worked in mainstream trade book publishing. I've worked in um, online magazine publishing. I've had my work published and I have published other people. Um, and I know what I'm doing. So I think it's time for me to find a place or make a place for my own work and also to work with other people who also have story ideas that don't fit neatly into any of the categories that, you know, mainstream comics um, welcome people into. So I started publishing Tracy Queen and also started publishing anthologies of short comics from mm -hmm. indie creators. Um, and that is where I have worked with Charlie and Lenny, both as comics creators. So hopefully the goal is by making our own stuff and putting it out in the world and giving it, you know, the chance to shine, we are doing what Charlie was talking about by like making the media landscape more welcoming for people like us in the future. Yeah, totally. You also work with me on my comic book, Quantum. Yeah. Okay, so ever since I was a kid, I wanted to write a comic book and I wanted to be a comic. Basically, I went through a midlife crisis and I did all of the things that I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> but I didn't actually know that I could until I met you and saw that you were writing like these amazing comics. And then I met you again um, at a poetry reading where your table was set up for Oneshi. And uh, I was like, well, apparently you can just do it. <laughs> like you can just go <laughs> write comics. And, and we talked about it and it, my, my husband is an artist. And so it kind of worked out that I was able to put a story that I had already kind of been had in my head for quite some time into an actual comic book. And it turned out to be with something way different than I ever thought that it would be the story, but uh, it's, it starts, um, Melanie Highwater, who becomes Quantum. She hasn't yet, but she will eventually. She's on her way. <laughs> She's on her way. And her sister goes missing. And so we kind of address some Native issues, uh, including murdered and missing Indigenous women. Um, Melanie is queer. Um, we have a sex scene in the very first issue, which again, we have like that. It's not 
an erotic comic book. It's a comic book with mm-hmm. sex in it. Uh, yeah. We have, um, we address race in this and we address a bunch of other issues uh, for Quantum as we move through her story of her trying to find her sister and an awesome uh, government mm. conspiracy theory. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we should do an episode on government conspiracy theories. We've got to figure out how we can tie that into the decolonizing sex idea, but I'm sure it's in there. There's got to be one, right? There's, there's an angle. We just have to Everyone find it. We can cover one. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and then it can become its own conspiracy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm into it. Um, well, yeah, I am really, really honored to be working on publishing quantum with you um this is exactly the kind of stories that i have been wanting to you know help put out into the world since we started this publishing company and i am so gratified that it not only you know existed in your brain and that i am able to be a part of bringing it to the world but also that i got to meet you more or less through it (laughs) i know me too all of that comics bring people together yeah um Also, I wanted to mention that we should probably call this episode Comics on Comics because both Charlie and Lenny are stand-up comedians um, who are like big deals in the Missoula and Montana and more generally like comedy scene. And we're talking about comics, so. Huge. Huge, huge deals. (laughs) All right, well, folks. That about wraps it up for this time. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, we are going to be back for our next episode talking about marriage. 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 Yeah. It is a huge topic and something that, you know, really, really, really ties into the things that we like to talk about, which are uh, colonialism, um, oppression, and LGBTQ issues. So uh, you can find out more information at tracyqueen.com. And you can also find the books themselves on sale at oneshipress.com. Yeah. And that is it for this episode. I am Lenny Peppers. And I'm Lindsay G. And this has been Ourgasm. Let our love be a flame, not an amber. Say it's me that you want to dismember. Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie as we dance to the masochism tango. At your command, before you here I stand, my heart is in my hand. Ugh. It's here that I must be. My heart entreats. Just hear those savage beats and go put on your cleats and come and trample me. Your heart is hard as stone or mahogany. That's why I'm in such exquisite agony. My soul is on fire. It's a flame with desire. Which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love, every time I hear drums. And I envy the rose that you held in your teeth, love, with the thorns underneath, love, sticking into your gums. Yo.
cast a spell that bewitches The last time I needed 20 stitches To sew up the gash that you made with your lash As we danced to the masochism tango Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain Then kick me once again and say we'll never part I know too well I'm underneath your spell So darling if you smell something burning it's my heart Excuse me. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kiss tango.